Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. Now, that is education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is accessible to all children, and it is also public in ownership and control, or it certainly should be. should be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that can be publicly accountable. And our governments, if they were democratic governments, and that is a question, Mm -hmm. uh, should be providing a first-rate public education for every child in this country with no other requirements excepting that they are children in this country. We have a website at www.adogs.info and here is our press release 716. Will the Gonski 2.0 funding model rob the coalition of the Catholic vote? The coalition is set to lose the next election if it was held tomorrow for many reasons. But the Catholic hierarchy and its education bureaucracy are already circulating the rumour that they will be responsible for the coalition's loss to Labor because they did not get everything they wanted from Birmingham namely special deals with bells and whistles and no accountability. The Murdoch Press have already started the Catholic vote talk, while Paul Williams from the Courier-Mail has fanned the flames at the Courier-Mail. Strangely, the Fairfax media and even the ABC have largely ignored the issue, although most people are aware that the DLP, which uh, split the Labor Party in 1954, appears to have latched onto the coalition and is doing the same kind of splitting exercise. But on May the 24th, Paul Williams, who's the political scientist from Brisbane, asked, has the federal government cut off its ramming Catholic nose to spite its electoral face? And that's what poll watchers will ask after the Catholic education system allegedly declared war on the coalition over a new Gonski funding model that could send their school fees skyrocketing. Well, I think it was even the Brisbane uh, Archbishop who in the end said that the fees would not be skyrocketing. What has been skyrocketing for a long time, of course, is the public money that they've been getting into the Roman Catholic coffers without any accountability. 
Now, public schools and independent educators say that Catholic protesters are overreacting and Defence Industry Minister Christopher Pine, himself a good Catholic, uh, claims that the Catholic education system's pretending it's been dudded despite receiving an excess, an, ac- an extra, I'm sorry, one billion out of the agreement over four years. Uh, then uh, Paul Williams went on to give a potted history of Catholic influence and its disruption of the Labor Party going back to the referendum on conscription in the First World War. But more recently, in the last week, the Australian on July the 31st took up the Beware the Catholic Vote cry at, um, at, at uh, John Ferguson's page and he had the following to say. The Turnbull government's exposed to a vote of backlash in 13 marginal seats along the eastern seaboard that could cost it power after igniting a row with the Catholic education sector that included allegations of church lies and deceits. (laughs) Now, the analysis of 13 marginal seats in New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria shows that almost 70,000 children were Catholic educated in those seats last year. And so they've had a look at the census data, shows that the flow-on effect of the government's war with the Catholic sector, I didn't know there was a war with the Catholic sector, I mean, I thought they were getting billions and billions, could be electorally disastrous, particularly for Queensland, where up to seven seats could be impacted by a long-running church campaign. And, of course, this poll comes as Malcolm Turnbull faces internal pressure to end the war with the Catholic sector and the fight spread beyond school funding and struck at the heart of the Catholic establishment, which has vowed to to campaign against the coalition. And just imagine what a vote on same-sex marriage would have, the effect that would have on the coalition uh, vote if they allowed it. So um, several senior Liberals have told The Australian that lobbying is underway to force Federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham to build bridges with the Catholic community, and so on and so forth. Um, they're talking about $1.1 billion being withheld from the Catholic schools. Well, that's nothing on what actually is happening to the, to the public sector, is it? And Victorian Labor Party Assistant Secretary Cosma Samaras estimates that in an electorate with 5,000 Catholic schoolchildren, there could be as many as 9,000 parents of voting age in seats of about 100,000 people. And he thinks it could actually determine the election result. So guess what the Labor Party's doing? They are listening to the Catholic lobbyists. Now... A lot of people in Australia, most of whom, by the way, 80% of whom are not Roman Catholic and 30% of whom say they are people with no religion at all, are a bit fed up with the effect that uh, particular denominational lobbyists are having on our political system. So they should think about the Johnson Amendment. Now, what do I mean by the Johnson Amendment? The Johnson Amendment is in America. It is something in the American political system, very important um, requirement, uh, legislative requirement. But Mr Trump, who wants to get the support and to pay out his evangelical megachurch supporters, wants to get rid of it. 
Now, how do I know about this Johnson Amendment? I know about it because I go to the internet and I read the webpage of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. So what is this Johnson Amendment and why are many Americans frightened of losing it? In America, this federal law has for more than 60 years protected the integrity of tax-exempt organisations, including houses of worship, by ensuring that they do not endorse or oppose political candidates. Now, listeners, in charity law, there used to be um, a requirement that charities did not get um, involved in the political uh, lobbying. And it's long since been under attack in this country. Probably for good reasons, because a lot of non-religious groups, like uh, groups that are interested in the homeless and uh, groups that are interested in uh, law reform, that do are ex- do get exemption uh, income tax or tax exemption status because they are community organisations, they have not been very happy about the idea that they can't take uh, they can't lobby politically. But in the in America, this would be illegal. If you get if you take the king's shilling, then you leave the king alone. So 60 years ago, and for the last 60 years, the Johnson Amendment protects charities and churches from being used as political tools, and it protects the taxpayers who should not be forced to subsidise the partisan election activities of these organisations. Because I am quite sure that there are large numbers of Catholic voters, people who send their children to Catholic schools, that don't necessarily want to be involved in lobbying Um, either libs or labs and would want to vote for somebody else. They might even want to vote for one nation, for all you know. However, in America, this very interesting Johnson Amendment is under pressure from guess who? I'm sorry to mention his name, but here he is. President Donald Trump and a few members of Congress and far-right religious leaders want to repeal or weaken the Johnson Amendment for their own political gain. Trump has repeatedly threatened to get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment, which is a promise he reiterated during a July the 13th interview with TV preacher Pat Robertson on the Christian Broadcasting Network. And the same day, the House Appropriations Committee voted to cripple the IRS's, that's their um, the Inland Revenue, ability to enforce the Johnson Amendment, which is the taxation department in America. The House Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Bill includes an amendment that would make it incredibly difficult for the tax department, the IRS, Inland Revenue, to investigate churches that have violated the law. And the committee narrowly voted down an amendment from the United States representatives Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Barbara Lee from California that would have stripped this harmful language from the bill. The spending bill with a provision to weaken the Johnson Amendment next goes to the House floor. And that's why it's crucial in America that members of Congress here 
uh, from the voters about why the Johnson Amendment is really very important. So if you want to find out more about it, you can go to Americans United for Separation of Church and State and visit Project Fair Play. Now, many Australian taxpayers are fed up. As I've said, they only, they, these um, uh, families that send their children, that are silly enough to send their children, or the dogs believe, to the, um, to ca- the Catholic education sector schools, um, and we won't go into why we think they're very foolish, but I think that you could use your imagination there. Uh, but many Australian taxpayers are fed up, and it would be 80% of them, with the influence of religion on politics and the incursion of religious organisations into the public treasury and our political part, uh, parties. Perhaps it's more than time that we also demanded a Johnson Amendment for Australia. Uh, because if you take the King's shilling whether you take it directly for all your religious activities or whether you take it indirectly as exemptions because you happen to be called a charity, then you should leave the king alone. So that's all I have to say. We'll have a little break and uh, have some music now. Thank you. 
about their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. Thank you, Jane. Thank you very much for that. Um, I mean, some people might say that to connect Australian or American constitutional issues with what's going on here in Australia with ex-DLP people is um, a long bow, but I disagree. I can actually disagree. Um, it's deeply relevant. What's happening in America at the moment is often a foreshadowing of what's going on in Australia and um, the relationship between religion or churches, the Catholic Church in particular, and the Australian state is becoming more and more disturbing, certainly in a political sense. Um, I mean, I'd even broaden it out to say that the relationship between um, various churches and the Liberal Party when it comes to the same-sex marriage debate is now overt. It's not covert. It's not behind the scenes, Gene. It's right up there in front saying, if you don't do what we say because we are Christians, you will not be able to govern this country. It's toxic, actually. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's all... Well, it's a lesson in why you shouldn't let these things mix. It's not oil and water. It's um, it's gasoline and a lighter. <laughs> you just don't do it. You end up in all sorts of stru- struggles and problems. Um, but that lovely piece of music we heard in the break was actually a concerto in D minor for two violins by Johann Sebastian Bach. The two violinists you were listening to were Richard Tognetti and Helena Rathbone. Or should I say, yes, yeah, Rathbone. And they both play with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. That was taken from the CD. Oh, Australian Classic FM um, had top 100 concertos, and that was one of their 100 top ones. Quite right, too. Um, now, back to Australia. Um, there has been, every, every, every now and then, usually it happens at the beginning of the year, there's a moral panic in, in, in Australia about the children mm-hmm. and their results. You know, The children aren't doing very well because their results are, are terrible in schools and usually happens around about back to school. But um, it's happened sort of in the middle of the year this year, in the middle of winter here in Australia, because the NAPLAN results, there's been a report come out about how effective Australian education has been ever since we've been gathering assessment data on them through NAPLAN. And it turns out that, um, well, let's, let's just find out how it's turned out. It's big business. The, this, uh, this the moral panic, there's this moral panic about our children, what's, what's happening to our children. Um, the headline issue is that they haven't improved. We've assessed them now for almost 10 years in the same way, and they're not getting any better. And in some ways, in, in, in some sectors, they're actually getting worse. And where they are getting better, it's deeply incremental. It's not significantly better at all. And everyone's all surprised and their arms are flying in the air and there's articles in the Australian and the Fairfax papers and the Australian Financial Review and various academics are jumping up and down as to why or why not this is the case. I just find it, I just find it amazing. I, I just, I mean, I mean, anyone out there who's a teacher, you go, yeah, just because you measure a thing doesn't make it any better. 
it gets, it gets back to the fundamental principle. And here I'm not going to talk about Catholic schools or independent schools or state schools. I'm going to talk about children in general and the way education is being run as a marketplace. Education is perceived as a commodity. Now, Christopher Pine, I remember on Q&A several years ago, he said, look, we want to have competition in education because competition is always good. Is it? It's a fundamental principle of the free marketeers. It's a fundamental principle of neoliberal economists. It's a fundamental principle of what we would loosely call a capitalist society. Not a capitalist financial system, a capitalist society. Competition is always good. So if you're going to have competition, you've got to have something to compete over. So they made something up. The thing they made up was NAPLAN results. NAPLAN results um, are, are these things which everyone now has to fight over. They are the commodity that everyone everyone wants. If you oh, have big NAPLAN results, that is good. If you have small NAPLAN results, that is bad. I thought the if, children might be. If you have high NAPLAN results, then that is good. If you have low NAPLAN results, that is bad. NAPLAN results have been used in this marketplace for everything, not just to sort of mark and grade and assess children, but they've been used to mark and grade and assess teachers, they've been used to mark and grade and assess schools, they've been used to mark and grade and assess school systems. They've been used for everything. They are the currency of the education debate, the NAPLAN results. I thought we got over that in the 19th century with the payment of my results. Well, of course, Jean. I mean, you're being, I think, a bit facetious. Of course, of course we didn't get over it, because as soon as the NAPLAN results came in, you could see what was going to happen. You could see what was going to happen. Insecure parents would, would follow the big results, would follow the high NAPLAN results in the schools with the teachers in the systems because that's how markets work and that's what Christopher Pine would be very happy about. So, well, now we have, we have a system where people can compete with each other and NAPLAN results are the currency. If you have more, that is better. If you have less, that is worse. And everyone will fight to get more NAPLANs whatever they are, and, and everything will be good because competition is always good. Well, surprise, surprise, um, education is not a free market. And if you treat it that way, it will fail you. If you treat education as a situation where everyone has to fight each other and you have winners and losers, well, yeah, sure, you will have losers, um, but the winners lose as well. <laughs> Uh, because what happens is you have what I think Gene would call a sort of cannibalistic system. Mm. A cannibalistic system where if everyone eats <laughs> everyone else. Cannibalistic capitalism. Cannibalistic has been capitalism. Eating itself for about 20, 30 years. Well, hasn't indeed it, it has. Well, ever yeah. since, ever yeah. since, ever since the reforms post Second World War have sort of been, have been eroded. I think Gene, Gene would be absolutely right in saying that. I suppose we're straying from the point about what the dogs are about, but I think it's important that we do highlight what, what on earth is going on with these NAPLAN results that everyone's having this massive moral panic about? Now, what happened was, came in in 2008, so it's almost 10 years ago, um, it actually came in under a Labor government, um, Julia Gillard was responsible, and in fact the NAPLAN results are published on the My School website, which again is contentious. Now, here on the dogs, we use the My School website a lot because it has financial details for each individual school, which are very useful data when you're trying to talk about what's fair and what's not in education. Previously, that information was not available to the public. Now it is. However, the NAPLAN results are also put on the My School website. So, this all kicked off in around about 2008, and now it's 2017. So, what's happened? Well... In 2008-2009, the NAPLAN results improved year on year. They got better. They got bigger. They got more. So there was more NAPLAN in 2009 than there was in 2008. And I do talk about it that way because 
what NAPLAN is, is functionally a commodity. It is, it is, it is a thing. It, it's, the, the commodity is broken up into reading, writing and arithmetic, of course, but like it's a commodity. So there was more NAPLAN in 2009 than there was in 2010, and there was more NAPLAN in 2010 than there was in 2009. And then it stabilised, it plateaued. And in fact, in some cases, it went backwards. Why? Well, any teacher in the system can tell you exactly why. Um, NAPLAN means money. If you have more NAPLAN, then you have more upper-middle-class parents coming to your school because they come for the more NAPLAN and you get more funding and you get more job security because more NAPLAN means good things for a school. Payment by results. Payment by results. So... In 2008 and 2010, between those two, over, over that two period of two years, um, all the schools... have been all, wasting their money. All it's the, the parents who are wasting oh, their money. Marjorie, what I'm saying is all the schools learn how to gain the system yeah. over the first two years. But in the end, you can only gain the system so much. Yeah. So now the whole thing's plateaued. So NAPLAN was supposed to create a system of competition, a culture of, of parent-eat-parent, school-eat-school, and in that case, things would constantly improve because competition is always good, according to Christopher Pine and indeed Simon Birmingham. But that's the opposite of what happened. It just stayed the same. Because if you spend all your time on teaching kids how to do tests, if you spend all your time on preparing children to get more of the NAPLAN, <laughs> when I say NAPLAN, I mean dollars, but more of the NAPLAN, um, it sort of plateaus out because whatever gains you make in some, fact, in, in, in some places, you lose in others. And, of course, it's not equal across Australia. Northern Territory, for example, has less, less NAPLAN than everyone else. And the ACT has more NAPLAN than everyone else. New South Wales and Victoria have followed the same pattern. They're somewhere in between. That's because the average, the average income for a household in the ACT is the highest in Australia. And in the Northern Territory, the average income per household is the lowest in Australia. So NAPLAN, NAPLAN is a reflection of household income. <laughs> it just, it, it's, it's nothing more or less than that. I mean, if you're talking about correlations between NAPLAN and anything else, you say, well, NAPLAN and money are very strongly correlated. Um, it's just that simple. So why not stop calling it NAPLAN, just start calling it dollars? And the reason we're falling behind in the International Jones race is that we're not teaching our children to be creative and to solve problems for the world that they're growing into is a, a world with an awful lot of problems. Yeah. That is their inheritance that we're giving them, which is yeah. very sad indeed. So let's just look at how all the other sort of media outlets, apart from us here at the Dogs, have reacted to this. Now, the headline, the headline of this is that basically NAPLAN results have plateaued. So in, um, in the Fairfax papers, Mary Griffiths has written an article highlighting this. She's saying that basically nothing's changed, but certain factors, particularly writing, have declined since 2011. I wonder why. And the NAPLAN results show that there is no lift in text in, 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 in the test results of NAPLAN um, in the Australian Financial Review. The Australian newspaper, <laughs> of course, says schools hits by writing skills slump. They pick the one bit of negative data and blow it up. Well, they give the children uh, computers. What do they expect? I guarantee if they were tested on their uh, their touch typing skills, they'd come way, way, way ahead. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't have to contradict you there because they yeah. don't. They oh, don't teach typing at school. They don't do touch typing with these kids. No, and, and they don't. Yeah, it's, 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 a, yeah, it's a click and swipe world. 
How silly. It's a cut and paste, click, click and swipe. Well, I mean, the world is not... I mean, if you talk to some people out there, the world's divided into coders and non-coders. Mm-hmm. The people who actually know how computers work and people who don't and just use them. Mm-hmm. Um, test them on how to text. and Yeah, <laughs> test them on how to text. I'm sure they go very well, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, look, we're muttering away here like a bunch of old people talking, <laughs> talk, talking about the, the youth of today. But it's actually more important than that because Jean actually made the key point which is why we're sitting here making our children fight each other so they can have more or less or bigger or smaller NAPLAN. The rest of the world's just worked it out. They've gone way ahead. So in international comparisons, Australia isn't standing still, like these results suggest. Australia's actually falling behind. We are eating each other. I mean, this is... I'm going to say this again. If you talk about competition in education, and NAPLAN is just just... Just, just the, the currency of competition in education. If you're going to talk about competition in education, it is a zero-sum game. It is being treated as a zero-sum game. If you give money to a child, that means you're not giving money to another child, which means that in the end, from, from when you're talking about the children, unless you resource the children as a whole and you just pick children out in terms of what they call needs-based funding, you're ending up with a zero-sum game. But Robert, it's not a zero-sum game, the NAPLAN and testing for, for big multinational corporations like Pearson mm. who are, are making or they're raking in billions of dollars from the governments who contract out the testing of our children. It's not a zero-sum game there and it's not a zero-sum game for the taxpayers either and this, this is really what people need to be aware of that um, large amounts of money are going out of the public treasury to multinational corporations who test our children for no good reason. Yep, so the process of testing itself is actually taking cream off the top of money that should be spent on the kids. And I actually want to highlight that because there are some other people out there saying the same things. But let's just get to Simon Birmingham. He's basically said, okay, I have to respond to this. He says, you know, while some things are good, some things are bad. And he says, well, he says, I quote, he says, he says, the writing results are a real worry and I'll be taking, talking to state and territory ministers about how we could turn this around. And then he says, Gonski 2.0 will solve all problems. <laughs> um, and he's saying, well, if we're going to spend money, we've got to make sure we spend it in the right place. And how do we work out if we're going to spend it in the right place? We're going to use NAPLAN results to determine where that will be. It's a strangely circular argument. I mean... He says, we'll be implementing, or we've implemented truly needs-based funding across the country. No, you haven't. You can't, because we have three education sectors, each of which have special deals, except for the state sector. And, and so the Catholics are going to demand that they continue their special deals and their wheeling and their dealing and their um, bells and whistles with no accountability. And so I did promise we wouldn't be talking about the Catholic school system, but in the end, you have to, you have to. So you're right, Sorry Jean. No, 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 you have to, Jean. Sorry I mean, no, you don't, don't apologise. You can't apologise for telling the truth, because you are. There are special deals, and that's what's annoying a lot of people out there. Certainly, um, education people, the ones that have got the guts to say it, which aren't, by the way, in universities. I wonder if Mr Gonski and Mr Boston are going to uh, retain the intestinal fortitude they've had to date on this issue. Hmm. Well, anyway, across Australia, it breaks up on a state-by-state basis. The Australian Capital Territory is doing the best. New South Wales and Victoria still achieve reasonably high results, but they've all plateaued. All states in Australia have plateaued. They're not getting any better. And this is from the official ACARA results. Now, there's been some improvement, actually, over the time in Year 3, reading across the country. Primary schools 
are still improving a little bit. But I can tell you right now, if you want to gain the results, if you, primary schools are much easier place to do it than, than high schools. Mm-hmm. But, and the problem is, the real challenge in terms of what the NAPLAN results do tell us is that there has been a plateauing and a falling off of performance of students from year 7 to year 9. And the problem of that, of course, is that when you've been in year 7 and year 9, you're not far away from finishing your school. And if you're not on top of literacy and numeracy and writing by the time you get to year 9, you are going to struggle when you hit VCE or HSC or whatever, whatever, the, um, whatever that is in whatever state you're in. And if you're going to struggle there, you are going to struggle beyond school. So it's the 7 to 9 which I personally know a great deal about. This is, you know, when they're big enough to be dangerous, <laughs> when they're big enough to say that there really isn't much time to pick up the slack. When you're in year nine and you can't write properly and you're reading and literacy are in, are in significant problems, then that is actually, it's not too late, but that is a serious marker of where money needs to be spent. Remedial money at that level. And that's, and no one's talking about this. Hmm. No one's talking about this. Now, education assessment specialist, Dr. Rachel Wilson um, from the University of Sydney, said the results had actually really not improved over 10 years. I'm now quoting from an age article written by Meredith Griffiths um, just a couple of days ago in the Fairfax Press. Um, She said this whole thing is basically a missed opportunity because, guess what, there are other ways of assessing children that aren't NAPLAM. So the whole NAPLAN result, and because it's become this high-stakes commodified currency in education, she says there are actually other ways to do it. Other ways of assessing kids are not high-stakes. They usually operate at a teacher level, involve teachers really understanding students and what they know through classroom-based assessment. Now, if you put assessment down as, 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 an, as a relation between a professionally trained teacher, not some Teach for Australia person, but a professionally trained teacher and a child, then that assessment is an assessment for learning. It's an assessment that can be used to say, well, I now can identify what your gaps are, what you need to do to read and write and, and arithmetic write, and we can work on that together. It's not being used as a currency that's passed up the line from the teacher to the school and from the schools to the department and, 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 and from whatever it is so that it can be used to commodify what that school is doing. It's actually, it's actually just a relation between a teacher and a student. And there's lots and lots and lots of um, evidence to suggest that the sort of effects you see in terms of education from this sort of assessment far surpass the improvements we've seen from NAPLAN. She's saying there is evidence that you can improve children's learning by assessing for their learning as, 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 as in low stakes, just finding out where, what their gaps are. You can actually improve a child's learning by between 10, 20, 30%. You can actually make the education experience a better one for them and they can leave school with more skills if you use assessment in a low-stakes, understanding way. And do you know what? Plenty of countries out out there in the world have worked this out. And I'm going to say it again. Let's go back to Finland. Do you know how many high-stakes tests there are in Finland? Finland, by the way, having the arguably best education system in the world for the last 20 years. Zero. They don't do any. At all, until the end, until year 12, until the idea is when you leave schools, school, you will have a certain set of skills based upon your subjects and specialities, and it is important for the world to know what your skills are when you leave school. I mean, I think that's true. I think it's useful for the world to know how good you are at stuff when you leave school. 
How good are you at engineering? How good are you at cooking? How good are you at, at, at um, reading, writing and arithmetic? And when you leave school, that is actually a useful social marker because it means that your skills can be used more effectively you know, by people who don't know you in, in the broader society. So, yeah, they have a test in Finland. It's at the end. They think high-stakes testing along the way serves no purpose because there, there aren't split school systems. There, schools don't compete with each other for particular students. There, there is no competition in education. There is no marketplace in education because in Finland, to do such a thing would not just be stupid, it would be immoral. It would be illegal. It's illegal to charge money for education. It's illegal to put children in those positions in Finland because it's stupid. Illegal because it's stupid, stupid because it's illegal. <laughs> Here in Australia, we just take this whole, this, whole, uh, this, this whole process whereby if you assess something, then you improve it. What is so terrible is that this is done, in many cases, in the name of Christianity. It's the Christians and their schools which are implicated in, in treating children as commodities. Actually, I've just got one more thing to add, because when we get to that Christian dynamic, the head of Independent Schools Australia has a solution. Well, the head of Independent Schools Australia proposed a solution to this problem of plateauing NAPLAN results. Oh, yeah. And guess what this... It, 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 it just... I'm all it ears. boggles the mind. I'm all ears, Robert. Sorry, How ears. do you improve the NAPLAN results of the children of Australia? Well, the way you improve the NAPLAN results for the children of Australia is you let the school choose which students it will allow to do the test. Just listen to that. For those listeners out there who are mathematicians, for those listeners out there who are interested in finding out what goes on in the world, for those listeners out there that have any any idea about statistics, the solution proposed by the head of independent schools Australia is that the schools, independent schools, choose who gets to sit the test. Not all the students get to sit the test. Well, oh, they no, do no, it no. anyway. Of course That's they do. That's what it. they're doing. Well, all schools did that in the first two years. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> oh, how do you improve NAPLAN results? Well, you get the students who you know aren't going to do well and you ask them to take the day off when NAPLAN test comes. Oh, schools have been doing that ever since NAPLAN turned up. Oh, they've been gaming the system. Absolutely. Um, but no, they're not talking about gaming the system. They're talking about making the cheat legal. <laughs> they make, and that will improve NAPLAN results. You will improve the NAPLAN results if you only get the smart kids to do the test in the school. But what does that tell you about anything? It tells you a lot about their, their ethical uh, standards, I think, Robert. It tells you. It's like how do you improve the unemployment statistics? You know, we know how they do that too. How do you improve your, well, how, well, the way you, the way you improve the unemployment, yeah, yeah, that's right. If you work an hour a week, that means you're not unemployed. That's how you improve the unemployment. How do you improve education results? You make sure all the dumb kids don't get to do the test. There you go. It's just, uh, when I heard that, when I heard that as the proposal, I just was, ah, it's not just immoral, it's stupid. You know, you go back to the Finnish argument. It's not just wrong, it's stupid. It's just craziness. So let's just say you do that and you improve the NAPLAN results. Simon Birmingham gets to look good. He gets a bonus. All, all, the, all the officials get their bonuses because they've improved something. It's just crazy business. And all the right-wing journalists in the Australian would be bemused because they couldn't then say that uh, giving money to uh, education 
uh, doesn't improve it. <laughs> All you've got to do is... That do would be the only good thing that I could think of with that one, Robert. Uh, I'm sorry, but this just highlights so much that is wrong, not just with the fact that we have three different separate school systems running parallel, all of which are funded by the government. Mm. Not, not, it, it just highlights the sort of... The mindless... The sort of... What? All oh, right, so you make sure all the stupid kids don't do the test, and that makes that makes the results better, which means that we do better in international. What? What? <laughs> you cook. You cook the books. You cook the books. I don't even know. look. I'm, look, I'll, I'll just get off my sort of strangely. Let's have some music. Let's have some beautiful music. Let's have some. Let's have me just just to calm ourselves down. I don't know. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Just when I heard that, I went, "Oh my goodness me! Oh, oh my days!" <laughs> Incidental music there from uh, the film Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, I think the tune was called The Key. That's calmed me down from my from, from, from my high horse, um, discussing what's going on in Australia. The stupidity of of Napland. The stupidity of Napland. The stupidity of assessing something and then and then and then thinking you understand it because you've assessed it. Yeah. 
I remember, oh, as, as an ex-teacher, I remember years ago, I was sitting in a curriculum meeting for all those people in education. That's just a meeting of people. Actually, I asked, I said, what's curriculum? Um, and no one in the room knew. Um, but curriculum is basically what schools do. So I was, I was in a school meeting at a school, and we were talking about the problems of the school and, and how we were going to solve it. And someone said, oh, you know, we, we need to find out more about this. We need to assess this and do that. And I said, oh, well... You know, how about we do this? And then someone said, no, you can't do that thing you've suggested, Robert, because you can't assess it. And if you can't assess it, how do you know it's being done? And I said, well, you just do it, and that's how you know it's being done. And I said, oh, no, no, if, if a thing's worth doing, it's, it's worth assessing well. <laughs> I said, what? I said, so you're saying it doesn't really matter how well it's done, it's just how well it's assessed. And yes, of course. And this, and this was considered a truth 15 years ago. Well, I thought it was um, a sense of busyness. A sense of business leading to a sense of um, security. security. It sounds like uh, To Die For, that film about the TV star, you know, it's not worth doing if no one's watching you. Yes, that's you true. Yeah. Yes, if a child does a test in the forest and no, and no, one, and no one's <laughs> assessing it, was the test ever really done? <laughs> it's all just a bit crazy. But the other thing, of course, is the bigger picture about once you get the whole sort of process of assessment and commodifying, once you assess something, it becomes a commodity. It becomes something that's worth something to somebody. And you can translate your big and small NAPLANs into big and small amounts of money. The privatisation of education is something that's been happening incrementally here in Australia, and we're following the US model where it's already well in, well in hand, also in the UK. Yeah, another, of course, one of the problems with this issue with having big and small NAPLANs or more or less NAPLANs is that you start getting, even within the state system, um, aspirational middle-class parents want them to separate themselves off. Um, they want to take all their big NAPLANs and put them in one box and so all the big NAPLANs can be together and all the small NAPLANs can be someone else, which is why I keep talking about the zero-sum game. If you take all your big NAPLANs and put them in one school, that's called a selective school. And in New South Wales, they're saying they should now consider selective primary schools. So you take all your big NAPLANs with all the little kids and all the gifted students and talented students and give them the same earlier intervention as students with special needs, according to a leading academic in, in, in New South Wales. And that would be J. Jewell. Gifted children. Gifted and talented. Gifted and talented. The gifted children of gifted very A very good friend of mine is actually giving a keynote address um, at the Gifted and Talented Students Conference. Now, Jay Jung, a senior lecturer for the University of New South Wales School of Education and lead researcher of gifted education, said primary schools modelled after the state's 48 selective high schools could be the solution to Australia's, and I quote, neglect of its brightest students. So this whole, once, once you commodify it, everyone understands what they're worth, and once everyone understands what they're worth in the world of NAPLAN, well, all the big NAPLANs can gather together and keep the small NAPLANs away. It used to be the intelligence test in days gone by, but what happened to the intelligence test? I'm actually quoting from an article, Jane. I'm actually quoting from an article from the City Morning Herald by Pallavi Singhal. Um, um, and that article was on June, the, or July, I should say, the, the 22nd. So this is what's going on in New South Wales. Now, if you don't, would this happen in Finland? No. <laughs> And let's want to talk about the zero-sum game. If you take all the big NAPLANs and put them together in a selective primary school, I'm talking about five-year-olds here, Gifted and talented as they may be. And I remember, I'm not sure if it went to air last, last week, but I did comment that gifted and talented students functionally don't scientifically exist. Certainly Einstein wasn't one, so what's that got to do with anything? Gifted and talentedness. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a bigger question, not for today. Um, 
Yes, this whole process, if you have big and small NAPLANs, then you commodify it, then you can make sure all the small small NAPLANs can be together, all those little tiny NAPLANs. And what happens with them? In the old days... What happens with them when they turn 25? What happens with them when they turn 30? What jobs are there for them? Do we care? Um, Are they the people we cross cross the street to avoid? Are they the people who do the crime? Are we making them? in a situation where they have no choice but to do the crime because that's just the way they were brought up. That was just what the education system offered for them. What country would be stupid enough to throw a five-year-old on the scrap heap? What country would be that stupid? Because that's what this is saying. You take all the smart kids, you put them together, well, then everyone else can just go and jump in the NAPLAN lake. But with the intelligence test, they didn't even even think about it at the primary level until they reached the age of 10, which is twice the age of five, and which didn't work anyway. So, I'm, yes. I'm flummoxed. Yeah, well, this is, this is where NAPLAN takes you. This is where NAPLAN, if, you, if you treat it in the way we're treating it, which is as a commodity, we're treating it as, as a dollar value, and you can be born with more or born with less, and we know what is correlated with most money. Nothing else but money. There's a sadness to it all, actually. Mm. Deep, deep short-sightedness. Because, you know, crony capitalism does think in short-sightedness terms. I mean, also when I say crony capitalism, capitalism in its purest form does think in those terms, but then think about it. When you're five, you're not an entrepreneur. When you're five, you're not a self-made man or woman, are you? No, you're not. You're five. (laughs) Your parents might or might not be, but that's a separate thing to you. Your destiny is still ahead of you, with any luck. And if everyone gets the most appropriate and gold standard education for them, then that is the best for the nation. That's how you improve your PISA schools. Throw the NAPLAN away and start doing assessment for learning. Start having the right number of kids and the right number of teachers who are properly trained talking to each other so they can work together. Jean can tell you this is what she was trying to do when she was a teacher. I can tell you this this is what all teachers try to do if they're there and they have any sense of professionalism. NAPLAN is in, in the classroom and irrelevance. But when it comes to school funding, when it comes to things like gifted primary, sc- primary schools for gifted students, oh, the horror. I'm sorry, it's just, it's just mindless, mm. if you ask me. Look, you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and podcast through the WWWs. Um, just before we finish off this program, I would like to apologise to all our regular listeners for the break-in transmission last week. Um, this was due to unforeseen and un, un, insurmountable technical considerations. Um, and hopefully I'm now sitting on her because it hasn't happened again. <laughs> and I hope you listen to me on it. Yeah. But for those regular listeners, if you are concerned you've missed out, you can actually get hold of that, that, that broadcast. It hasn't been lost to the ether. It's been sit, sitting up there in eternity as a podcast, uh, which you can access via the 3CR website, which is... Um, Jail, what's, what, what's the 3CR website? It's uh, www.3cr.org.au.org.au. Thanks very much, Dale. Um Or, of course, if you're interested, you can get uh, catch up with what the dogs are doing on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And just as I say, don't forget the podcast, unless, of course, you're listening to us, to, to me right now on the podcast, which means you haven't forgotten. Um, but if you're listening on air and you wanted to find out what happened in the second half of the dogs episode that went to air last week, you can actually find out at, um, at www.3cr.org.au. But until next week, from Jean and myself here at the 3CR studios, yeah, community radio, 
Yeah, that's what we love. That's why we're here. Um, until next week, it's bye for now. dogs. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools has been fighting for free, universal public education since the 60s. To find out more, please visit our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Weekly podcasts of the DOGS program are available at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The DOGS are a 3CR supporter. support from people who have been there? Wellways Helpline 
is a free and confidential service providing mental health information, support and referral advice. All our Helpline volunteers are peers, people who have lived experience of mental health issues. If you are experiencing concerns with your mental health and well-being or supporting someone who is, call Helpline on 1300 500 Monday to Friday, 9am till 9pm. If you don't know which way to turn or who to talk to, call us on 1300 500. Wellways Australia is a leading national mental health disability support and community care organisation and a 3CR supporter. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. The 7th Annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The Book Fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter.
Dutch Express is blowing its whistle at the 3CR station. It's now on a new earlier timetable, 9.30am on Thursdays instead of 10.30am. So all aboard for a journey with Valerie Fafala and Trish Posterino into alternative theatre, cabaret, festivals, comedy and arts activism and plenty of great music, Trish. Oh yeah, that's the ticket. So join us, 9.30 Thursday from July the 6th. This is Richard Franklin. I'm a Gundi Jamara man and head of the Willen Centre for Indigenous Arts and Culture at the VCA. We're looking for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander musos, filmmakers, actors and visual arts mob to apply to be students with us at the Willen Centre. Find the Willen details on the Melbourne Uni website and get in touch. Thanks to everyone who participated in our listener survey earlier this year. You provided us with some great insight into what you really love about 3CR and what we could do better. We'll be working towards improving our on-air programming and look forward to your continued involvement. Remember, you can give feedback to the station anytime via our website, Facebook page, or by calling the station and leaving us a message. Thanks for listening. 